Happy Friday, and welcome to a new episode of This Week in Apps, a weekly no-fluff data first roundup of interesting news and trends about mobile apps and games. This is Ariel from App Figures, and I have five highlights for you today and a whole bunch of thoughts. I mean, this just happened, but a judge ruled that Apple has to give developers the ability to charge money or place buttons to charge money or link to other pages, pages that charge money in their apps. This is crazy. Now, it's been going on for a long enough time, this whole Epic versus Apple, so there are a lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts about it. And I want to look at it from a data perspective, but I didn't get a chance to do that because I just saw this. Um, but I'm going to go back to my conclusion from last week when we talked about Korea and what they did over there, which was pretty much the same. And I don't know if it's actually going to happen. We looked at Korea and we saw how much money Apple and Google have to spend on making sure this doesn't happen. And in the U.S., it's going to be a ton more. So we're talking kind of an infinite war chest and also the ability to do a whole bunch of other things like lower their fees and do other things that would make this kind of irrelevant. Will they do it? I don't really know. Will they fight it? <laughs> Absolutely. So I think it's not a good time to start celebrating yet because even if this does happen, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be great for developers and for users. So there are a lot of unanswered questions right now. I think it's too early to tell what will happen, if anything will happen, but I will have numbers to put this into context soon. So keep an eye on, on our Twitter and um, more will be there. Now on to the insights. I have insights that are kind of unrelated, but they all relate to money. And money is kind of the name of the game this week. So first I have a game, Genshin Impact, which I talked about a whole bunch of times in the past, released a new update and it gave it the single most biggest bump in revenue that it's ever seen. And also by a lot. Net revenue in Genshin Impact's three largest markets, which include the US, China, and Japan, nearly quadrupled in the last week. Our estimates show that daily net revenue, that's after Google and Apple take their fees, averaged just about a million, a million point two in the last in those three markets over the last month of August. And then on Wednesday, September first, that total grew to two and a half million and it peaked at three point nine million two days later. It ended Tuesday with 2.8 million, which is still more than double what they were doing before. Now, Mihio, the developer behind this, is not some indie developer that got lucky overnight, and Genshin Impact isn't some unknown title that exploded on TikTok like the ones we've seen before. So you may dismiss this, and if growth were really a half, I'd skip it too. But that's not the case here. Genshin Impact's revenue grew by a silly amount across both the US and China, the two largest revenue contributors to games. Not many games manage to do that across both of those that easily. Now, if we zoom out a bit and connect this with the other trends from uh, that I've explored last week and the week before, we quickly see a lot of issues. So China's limitation on gameplay is going to be problematic for this particular reason. The um, need to localize is going to become a lot more important as games do this. And not just localize, because we've looked at trends where China and India more recently have required or forced games to change the gameplay mechanics or change the visuals because they don't like blood or they don't like other things in the game. So I see more of that happening. And because there's so much money in there and the growth is just crazy, um, I see all these game developers actually bowing to government restrictions on how the games are designed and doing just following the rules in order to be involved. Now, this trend 
is happening currently in China and in India, but there's nothing really stopping it from coming to the U.S. and then threatening this whole industry as well. So overall, um, I think this is a really interesting thing to see just because of the sheer size of what's happening and because of everything else that's happening in China and otherwise, specifically around games. There's going to be a lot to watch for, especially now with the changes from Apple and potentially um, the new stream of revenue and how that would affect pricing, how that would affect what users end up paying. And so a lot to watch. Next up, Twitter. Twitter rolled out. It super follows this week, actually last week. And that feature allows creators to charge money for uh, exclusive content. Now, it's only a handful at this time, at this point, And so... It's kind of small, but it's now available to everyone. So everyone can follow or can super follow, follow someone who's in the program. The creators need to make money trend isn't a new one. And I've talked about it a bunch of times before when we looked at Twitch and also when we look at TikTok recently. I think we looked at TikTok last week or two weeks ago. And so it kind of makes sense and it's expected that Twitter will have to turn on some monetization opportunities for creators. And everyone is turning to creators as a term, which kind of just happened. It used to be just YouTube. That's just a side thought. But the question is, is that actually going to make money? And so let's look at money because that's what I enjoy looking at. The short answer is not that fast. Super follows enable creators to charge one of three tiers, $2.99, $4.99, or $9.99 for content that won't go public. And all that gets taken through in-app purchases. Everything comes back to in-app purchases. So Twitter also has to pay that fee. Um, I looked at the data and in the first week, which is what we have now, we estimate that people paid two creators about $10,000 in those in-app purchases. And Twitter keeps 3% of that after paying Apple's fees, which I did the math and it's about 200 bucks. So Twitter didn't really make a lot of money in the last week. And the biggest thought, the kind of immediate thought that I have is that's it? Really? $10,000 from all these Twitter people and only 200 bucks to get end up in Twitter's account? And I think that's a valid thought, but we have to keep in mind this is a tiny kind of alpha test, maybe a beta test. There aren't enough people in this program for there to be enough, uh, enough of a community around this. And also, I think that ultimately... We're doing something here that is very different. You're taking something that people are used to getting free stuff on Twitter. For the last 10 plus years, more than that, people have always gotten interesting stuff for free. And you can look at it and say, well, you know, those people that are used to this sort of stuff will have to change. But I don't know if that's the case. When I started on Twitter, it wasn't really for me to consume content. It was for me to just talk to other people that I know that I may not be close enough with to have on Messenger or something like that. And that's changed over time. If you think about it, Twitter is now a company, it's more of a media company than anything else. So I still exist on the platform as a user, but and I use it the way I used to all these years. But most people now, especially after over the last four or five or even six years, are more about consuming content. So yes, they're not used to paying for that content, but at the same time, newspapers online have done the same thing and other social media platforms are trying to do the same thing that I think ultimately it has to work. And I don't even think Twitter has a choice in this uh, in this particular case. Now, it's going to take some time. I can definitely see that. This revenue should not be an indication of success or failure. But in about six months, I think that will be an indication of success or failure because 
if the program doesn't grow fast enough to allow more creators to come on onto the program and start making money, that means something is probably not handled properly on the Twitter side. And if there are a lot of creators that are on the platform and they're not making money, then you got to ask why. Is that because there isn't enough content? Or is that because they don't know the right balance between free content and paid content so they can maintain their influencer status or creator status, but also have something that people actually want to pay that high $9.99 for? All those are good questions. I think we need to give it at least six months before we see anything. But if TikTok and Twitch and other platforms are any indication, it has to work. And speaking of money, this week we published our monthly report of the top apps by downloads and revenue for August. YouTube was, again, the top app by net revenue in the U.S. It earned about $65 million, according to our estimates. Dating destination Tinder, which is kind of a standard fixture at this point in our ranks, was right behind it, and ESPN came in third after having a really solid month in terms of new subscribers. The rest of the list, which includes streamers, more dating apps, and Pandora, more or less matched July's. The only noticeable difference was the absence of Twitch, which saw a slight bump, actually, in revenue in the U.S., but just not enough to rank. The list was pretty static, but the actual numbers weren't at all. Total net revenue for the top 10 apps jumped by 21% to 374 million of net revenue. That's after fees in the U.S., according to estimates. And the mobile revenue index also shows the same trend, jumping more than 30 points in August. I say this almost every week at this point, but the golden age of apps is back. It's nothing like what it used to be in 2008, but that kind of goes both ways. It's harder to ride the wave, but the wave is infinitely bigger. Infinitely is not a scientific term in this case. It just goes to show that it's bigger. If you're an app developer, now's your time to shine, but you have to actually do something to get there. And at number four, we have WhatsApp Business. The most downloaded report also uncovered another interesting trend, and that's just how much growth there still is in the business messaging market. Case of point, WhatsApp Business. WhatsApp has been the most downloaded messaging app in a very long time, with a few blips along the way earlier this year, if you remember. But overall, it's the way many communicate, especially outside the US and on Android, where iMessage just doesn't exist. It's how people communicate. For businesses who want to have a presence in this ever-growing world, there's WhatsApp business, a kind of a virtual storefront that's aimed at getting small businesses to get discovered and interact with their customers. Since it was launched in 2018, WhatsApp Business was downloaded more than 417 million times, according to App Intelligence, which is quite a few businesses. Now, remember, this is not for individuals. This is only for the businesses to communicate with those individuals. And the trend has also been really positive from the get-go and only seems to speed up. WhatsApp Business hit a new record in August, which is why I'm bringing it up, with 22 million new downloads globally. And that was following July's 19 million downloads, which was its previous record-breaking month. So it may be hard to see it in the US, but in some countries like Brazil, WhatsApp is really the way to communicate across the board. Friends, colleagues, work-related stuff, shopping, and even some government agencies. The obvious implication here that I have to bring up is that Facebook, which is an unregulated for-profit company, has control of really one of the largest communication communication channels in the world right now. But if you think about it and you zoom out a little bit, you see that they kind of already had that with Facebook, so they just migrated to a new app. Looking at WhatsApp business, though, the one thing I think is interesting is it's very obvious Facebook, Facebook wants to have even more control over interactions. 
And the more they can bring themselves into actual transactions, things like shopping, the more companies like Amazon and others should be concerned. I don't know exactly how that's going to play out. And I don't know if they can replace Amazon, if you think about it. That's a lot of moving pieces. But if they can, they will, <laughs> if I learned anything about Facebook. So that's, that's a very interesting way to evolve. And speaking of development, yesterday we published some numbers around the usage of non-native frameworks like React Native and Flutter on Twitter. And it took Twitter by storm and kind of restarted the general debate of whether non-native app development is the future. The short answer is maybe. There are a lot more tweets to, uh, to go through than I can summarize. So instead, I looked at more data. So let's look at the numbers behind not just uh, Flutter, which is Google and React Native, which is Facebook, but let's look at a few more. And I looked at the top four most used frameworks currently um, in the app store. And I did that with our top SDKs charts, which you can see at appfigures.com slash top SDKs. There's a dash between the top and the SDKs. So the top SDKs, the top frameworks are Unity, Cordova, React Native, and Flutter. When adding up all the apps that use React Native, Flutter, Cordova, and Unity, we see a, a much different picture than just by looking at one, regardless of which one you look at. Now, I know non-native frameworks are as much of a, a religion as preferring native development, and the frameworks themselves are different. I'm not going to get technical on this. I'm just adding them up to show what it's like. So when we add all of them up, we see that on the App Store, about 10% of apps and games are not native. On Google Play, that number is more than double, and it's at around 23%. Now, surprised? Yeah, you shouldn't be. The benefit of non-native frameworks, the kind of build ones, deploy everywhere, is really the kind of thing every developer dreams of. If you, if you are developing or if you know what it's like, then you know how easy it is. Or, I should rephrase, how easy it could be. Because when you think about it, the success of a game or an app isn't really about the code. It's not about the how you write your app. It's about a whole bunch of other things. And I talk about those other things in a different newsletter. But if you can spend less time on code and more time on the other things, you could, in theory, be more successful. And that's the promise of non-native frameworks. Now, that doesn't exactly happen because the experience is not smooth yet. It's not perfect yet. The ecosystem is not big enough yet to support all the different use cases that you could have. But at the same time, that's a problem that can easily change. I think the need is not a question. The need is a yes. If you can get it, you should. But everything else will need to build up towards it. And that's why we only see 10% of apps and games on the App Store do it. And that's why we see numbers that may be um, surprising for some, especially if you, if you look at the tweets and how a lot of people are curious why React Native is only about 2% or 4%. But at the same time, TikTok uses React Native and Instagram uses React Native in production. So I think the real challenge here is not getting traction right now. It's getting stability now. Stability meaning bring those frameworks to a point where they actually can replace native code for some apps, for the kind of apps that don't need high FPS, for the kind of apps that don't need uh, heavy lifting, like video editing, that's not going to be possible using JavaScript. But for everything else, and that's why you see a lot of uh, news apps using stuff like React Native or, or a lot of apps that just show data. And I think that's great because if you get it to a point where it's stable enough and if you build a tool for it, it's not going to break in two months. Then eventually and inevitably in a way, this stability will lead to more people using it. 
And I think more people using it will lead to it becoming better. So ultimately, I think it is the future of development, not of all development, but of some development where it makes sense. And I'll just leave you with my last thought on this, and that is how many developers are using this? Let's put the apps aside. And so I looked at our SDK intelligence and about 416,000 developers have at least one app that is not native and uses one of these four frameworks. So again, I think this suggests that if enough will stick around just long enough until it's stable, it will become how companies develop, uh, develop apps. I see it as more a question of a when and not an if. And on that happy note, that's all I have. I'll say happy Friday. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the insights. If you did, please tell all your friends. And if you want to get app intelligence for your competitors, which you should because you should see what they're up to, head on to appfigures.com slash intelligence where we offer that for very affordable rates. That's it for me. I will see you next week.